And now an ad from this week's sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. media and you're listening to fresh off the bench so i say we we hop right in yeah all right so one of the biggest pieces of news in my mind we're both afc west fans the las vegas raiders opened a nightclub in their (laughs) end zone for this upcoming season uh does that make their team relevant um no i think i think it's not always like of course, Las Vegas, but I think it's a very, it's a really big Raiders move. Yeah. Like this is a Mike Mayock, John Gruden type of move. This is certainly a move that they were looking for for publicity, but I was listening to the Pat McAfee show talk about this, and they were they were talking about how a lot of minor league baseball teams have similar um, like pools and stuff in their uh, stadiums. So this could be a move to get more, um, more people in, the, uh, in attendance. But uh, I don't know if this helps to make the team, you know, any more relevant. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, when I heard they were going to Las Vegas, the first thing that popped in my head was, like, they've got to watch out for how they're going to create, like, a home base in a city that's almost exclusively tourism. Right. Um, so. And, yeah, uh, wh- what's started to happen and one of the big things about you know sports marketing is that you have to make each game you know worthwhile for people to attend and one one way to do that is by offering new and different things and Mm. you know this nightclub is certainly new and different to the nfl and it could attract you know celebrities uh which would you know garner a crowd at in in their stadium but i i don't know if this is the best way that they should go about getting viewership or about gaining hype because they should really be focused on making a quality team. Yeah, because I'm not sure like how the music is going to work out because like, they're in the end zone, so everybody's going to be able to hear that music and it's going to be nonstop. Exactly. Um, you know? And that's certainly something we'll need to get more news on and will be interesting to be watching like Raiders broadcasts and seeing the nightclub in the end zone. Yeah, because I, I feel like especially when you start to get, like, the middle of the season and, like, day games, like, I don't think Vegas is going to be that kind of place that attracts during the day. So if yeah. you don't sell out, then, I mean, especially when they start losing, like, if you don't sell out, then how are you going to manage, like, 
just hearing that music all over the TV and stuff like that, like all over the broadcast. And you see, that's the other thing. Even during like Sunday night football, Monday night football, you know, Thursday night football, these games are at eight o'clock on the East Coast, which means that they're four hours ahead on the West Coast where they're playing. Yeah. So it's it's four o'clock in the afternoon when this nightclub's going to be active. Yeah. It's a, it's a really weird premise. I think there were better things they could have done. I mean, it gets hot in, in Nevada. You could always, yeah. I don't know, you could throw pools in there and, like, make it new and different in some way, like, have, like, a, a water park out there or something. Like, there were other ways to make it attractive. I just think the nightclub kind of fits the scumminess of the Raiders. <laughs> Certainly, and it's going to be interesting to see how many, you know, how many times they're going to get sued based on players, you know, running into the nightclub and hitting somebody. Um, uh, next piece like, of, yeah. That and uh, how are they going to get around, cop, play, like, hearing copyright music on the broadcast? That's, that's also very good. Um, it's certainly something that should draw intrigue in the future, and... Um, I'm very excited to see what happens there because it's definitely unusual and new. Yeah. Um, our next piece of news is uh, NFL players Michael Hardman, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson, and Devin White are supposedly setting up a race. I don't think it's a contest. I think Michael Hardman beats all of them, like, pretty beats handily. All, all right, so in 40 times, Henry Ruggs ran a... Four two seven and Hardman ran a four three three. Yeah, but Tyreek Hill says, "I mean, Tyreek Hill's the fastest player in the NFL. One of the fastest players the NFL has ever seen." He says the only person in the league that can keep up with him is McCall Hardman. I mean, you know, that's a very valid point. Um, but it's certainly something to keep eye, our eyes on. I wouldn't have if I was looking at who is going to win. I really don't think it's going to be Justin Jefferson or Devin White. You know, one yeah. of them being a linebacker and the other being more of a technician when it comes to route running as opposed to a speedster. Yeah. But it, I don't know how they're going to set up this race. Um, I don't think it's going to be something that's televised. Uh, and I don't know if this has really happened in the past. Outside of, like, a couple of years ago, there was NFL players that would run 40s for charity at one point, and they did, like, a, a tier thing. And I think um, Godwin ended up winning. Yeah, I, I know like Scotty Miller has has um, uh, what do you call it requested a race with Tyree Hill like <laughs> he's challenged him but I don't know why you would challenge Tyree Hill in a race yeah. anybody in, in the world but but uh, it'd be interesting to see the difference between like if they do it with pads or without pads that's true as well because I think I think Hardman runs Faster than Ruggs with pads, but Ruggs probably runs faster without pads because there's a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that's certainly a developing story that will be uh, probably addressed in the future as well. Yeah. All right. So next, the Denver Broncos decided to make Kelly Klein the highest-ranking woman in a scouting position ever. Yeah, I think you know, it's a cool move. Oh, certainly. Yeah, it's definitely a cool move. Kudos to them. Um, I don't know a lot about Kelly Klein in the in the scouting community, uh, but if she's reached this position, I'm sure she's very talented and good at her job. Yeah. She's probably uh, 
more than deserving of it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I, you know, it's it's something exciting, something new, and it shows a lot of change in the NFL as a whole. Yeah, like I know the discussion around the NFL is like lack of change recently, like lack of progress, because mm-hmm. I feel like they get blamed for a lot of stuff that's kind of out of their control, or they have to like they have to do as a business, but. I think this definitely shows that they're trying to make progress, even if it's not the way that like it's they don't always do it. Like they they are trying to do it. Certainly, so, um, I was referencing. I'm, what's up? No, go ahead. I was referencing like uh, like the cap stuff, like Colin Kaepernick and all of that. But like people didn't see, didn't think they saw enough like social change coming from the NFL. And every time the NFL tried, it kind of looked kind of tacky almost yeah they were pandering but this is exactly. this is definitely like a legit move that is pretty cool yeah um but the other piece of news out of denver this weekend was that they cut juan james who we talked about last week after suffering an injury um the nfl came out and said oh the broncos don't have to pay him and the broncos decided to cut him do you think that this move was a legitimate move by the Broncos, or do you think they were trying to get some good press along with the bad press that they're getting in the Javon James situation? Um, I, th- I definitely think promoting her was a legitimate move. I don't think they take that, that flack from, like, like, certain fans that probably would dislike the move of promoting her. Right. But I do think... The whole Juwan James move is just scummy. I mean, are exactly. the Chiefs the only good front office, the good-hearted front office in the AFC <laughs> West? Wow. Um, San Diego okay. abandons their fans. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Raiders open a nightclub. The Broncos cut Juwan James. All right. So that's enough AFC West slander for the time being. <laughs> Um, You know, a little bit of Chiefs bias there. Uh, Speaking of the Chiefs, you know, let's hop to the news on the Chiefs. They traded for former first-round pick Mike Hughes from the Vikings. I like the move. I think Mike Hughes wasn't, from what I've seen, wasn't used properly in Minnesota. But, I mean, Spagnuolo knows how to get every drop out out of a guy. Uh, yeah, that's that's very fair. I think it's a very low-risk, high-reward move, uh, similarly mm-hmm. to what they did with DeAndre Baker last season. He could add a lot to their team, but he could also just sit on the bench for them. Yeah, DeAndre Baker was good until he got hurt. Yeah, he was. Like He, he played solid coverage until he... Didn't he tear his ACL? Was that it? I want to say that's what happened. Yes. Yeah, it was right before the playoffs... I think it was against you guys in that garbage time game. And we put him out there because we had a lack of secondary depth and towards ACL. But, I mean, it definitely does help with our secondary depth. Even if he's not playing a ton, just having guys. Because for some reason, the secondary is, like, the only part of our team that is consistently not healthy. Like, Mm -hmm. the O-line didn't really have problems with health until, other than Eric Fisher, until, like, this past season, but like our secondary is constantly hurt, except for like Tyran and Daniel Sorensen. 
Yeah. Uh, so it, it's certainly low risk, high reward. Um, I think adding the depth is something they need to do, especially with the injuries they have. But I don't think he starts right away. Yeah, no. no he, unless, he's not a starter. I mean, unless he comes out during camp and shows, like, big improvement or something. But I think it's going to take yeah. a little bit of time learning the defense before. Cause if Spagnuolo can turn him into, like, a system kind of corner, then, I mean, he could be good. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. Um, and there's not a lot of difference between the, the Chiefs' current defensive scheme and the, the Vikings' former scheme. But I think that, you know, a move to more more slot playing time for Mike Hughes is kind of what's better better for him as a player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, the longtime uh, Washington football player, <laughs> he signed with the Philadelphia Eagles after putting out a post, uh, you know, saying goodbye to the fans of Washington. What are your thoughts here? Um, I know he adds, like, a little bit of veteran leadership into Philly, but I don't know. He hasn't really shown that he's worth signing at the age that he's at. You know what I'm saying? Like, he showed a little bit of regression last year. Moving on from Washington, I'm sure was not his choice. I'm sure it was Washington trying to get even younger so that that defense can grow more. And, I mean, Philly's just grasping at straws, trying to sign whoever they can to be relevant this year, but it's not going to work. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, Philadelphia did need edge depth uh, behind Barnett, and um, I'm going to blank on the other guy's name, uh, Graham. Brendan Graham and Derek Barnett, they did mm. need edge depth behind him, but I think they probably should have looked towards a younger source that they could develop more instead of, you know, we know what Ryan Kerrigan is, and we know he's not going to get better from where he is right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's certainly, it's not a move you would like to see from a rebuilding team. Yeah, he, I mean, <laughs> Twitter was blowing it up, like praising it. I, I didn't see it, but mm-hmm. you know, I could be completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even the best guy veteran edge defender on the market. Yeah, no. Uh, I think it's the only one that wanted to go to Philly. Yeah, certainly. (laughs) There's a lot of issues in Philly. And I think that, you know, Howie Roseman, he's coming to an end, and this is just a move that is not really putting them in a direction closer to succeeding. Yeah, no, I mean... If they would have used half of their energy that they've been putting into finding like obscure players on finding a real quarterback, I think they could be a decent team next year. But yeah, they still yeah, they need a league-ready quarterback. Definitely, definitely need a quarterback there. Um, another big piece of news. So we talked about last week. Tim Tebow was signed as a tight end to the Jaguars. Uh, some rumors rumors about that not being what the Jaguars front and office to do came out, but also the New York Giants signed Kelvin Benjamin. Booker McFarland once referred to as a Popeyes biscuit. one a Popeyes biscuit away from playing tight end, and they're signing him as a tight end. Uh, do you think this really adds anything to their tight end room or their receiving core as a whole, or do you think he even makes the roster? I think he makes the roster. I think. 
having somebody that has NFL experience behind Evan Ingram or I mean you look at their roster and I'm high on like their weapons, but their mm-hmm. weapons get hurt like often. Like Sterling Shepard and um um why Kenny Galladay. Yeah. Yeah, they they all frequently miss time. So you <laughs> add in Kelvin Benjamin. If Elvin Ingram Elvin. If Elvin. Evan Ingram gets injured, you have Kelvin Benjamin to step in. If one of those receivers gets injured, you have Kelvin Benjamin to step in somebody who has NFL experience, who's a vet by now, and mm-hmm. can just plug and play because he already knows the offense. That's I, I don't I'm not necessarily sure they were by signing him as a tight end, they're meaning he's going to play tight end all the time. Right. I think it was just kind of a yeah. In order um, to be able to shift them around. Yeah. Uh, so having a versatile piece, you know, deep on your depth chart is certainly something good to have. If they suffer a string of injuries at tight end to Evan Ingram, uh, Kyle Rudolph, and Braden Smith there, mm-hmm. they, they could certainly play him in there. Or they could play him as a wide receiver because, you know, they don't really have anyone outside of Kenny Galladay who can play that X position, which is kind of where Elvin Benjamin has succeeded in the past, despite the fact that he can't really create separation. Um, So it's certainly, it's not a great move by any means, um, but it certainly adds depth to their team that they definitely need. Yeah, I mean, it's not a move that added wins or added losses, but it adds depth. And, you know, veteran leader in a younger wide receiver slash tight end room there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Another piece of receiver news, Urban Meyer plans on playing Travis Etienne as a receiver for the entirety of rookie minicamp. I know you guys in our Phenom chat weren't high on this move, but I love it. I think Etienne was drafted because he was in – because he played with Trevor for all those years – if he wasn't at Clemson, he wouldn't have been taken. And I think now you're surrounding – he already – Trevor Lawrence is already walking into a pretty decent wide receiver room. And he has, I mean, James Robinson back there. But having James Robinson there means – I mean, I think Urban's quote was, at worst, you have a, a running back with receiver skills or something like that. Like That's exactly how I saw it. You have a guy that you're trying to get – used to catching the ball because Trevor has been playing with this guy forever. You add that familiarity with Trevor and I, I what I think is going to happen is James Robinson's not really like a pass catching back. He doesn't really he doesn't really motion out at all, but I think what we're going to see is if James Robinson's on the field, he's either going to run or block. If ETN's on the field, ETN's probably running a route. Like, um, even, yeah. even out of the backfield. Yeah, there's certainly validity to that, but I think that kind of what me and the rest of the Phenom chat were looking at is that they reached on ETN, and then Urban Meyer said he was going to only play him as a third down back, which is not something you do with a top 25 pick. Um, mm-hmm. And now he's playing him as a receiver, which is certainly going to hamper his ability to run uh, starting off because, you know, as Travis A. ETN is a prospect, he was dynamic, you know, after he got to the second level. But getting to the second level at the NFL, 
is very different than getting to the second level in the in, in college football, uh, and that's yeah. certainly something that he should practice in instead of you know lining up as a wide receiver. Which, while he may be lining up there from time to time, that's not going to be where he sees the majority of his snaps. As he is still a running back. Oh, I wasn't meaning like when we see him on the field, as in he's lining up at no, I, yeah. a receiver. I was meaning like he when we see him in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Like running around, and I think, like you said, he was dynamic once he got to the second level. But if you have, like, if you're gonna throw it to him, if he can get open, like as as a like downfield, if he can get open, he's catching it in that second level. That's true. So uh, like, it... I think if they can get him the ball downfield, I think this will be a success for them. I yeah, I think the move that the Jaguars are trying to do is instead of instilling a safety blanket in a tight end for Trevor Lawrence, they're looking for a safety blanket as a checkdown option in Travis Etienne, which is somewhat brilliant because Travis Etienne adds more base value than the tight end that possession catches at five yards downfield, as opposed to the guy who catches it two yards downfield and, you know, breaks a tackle for five more yards. Yeah. So it, there's, there's certainly potential to this move, but... The way that the, the Jaguars have really handled this ETN situation, from f- for most people, just seems very ridiculous because you know they've reached on him. They're only playing as a third down back now. He's playing wide receiver in minicamp. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of things pointing towards you know what the hell's going on, Urban Meyer? What are you doing? Why are you yeah. here? Uh-oh. Yeah, but like like I said, I think if he if ETN's not out of Clemson. They don't take him, or they wait until thirty-three. Yeah, and that—that's fair. Uh, all right, moving on in news, unless there's more you want to say there. No, I'm all good. All right. Uh, Morgan Moses of the Washington Football Team was recently given permission to seek a trade. Uh, he's played right tackle for them for a couple of years. He's kind of in his in his thirties. He's coming off one of his the better years of his career. Uh, where do you see him potentially getting traded? How much do you think he's worth? Um, at his age, I'd say max third rounder. Just because the <laughs> tackles are, like, becoming coveted around the NFL. Because for some reason, like, there's a select few tackles that are actually reliable. Right. I could see him... I mean, Kansas City could make a move for him. Right tackles, like, they're only wish-washy spot, which I think they're going to have to put Kyle Long in a tackle. Yeah. Which, I mean, if they start him off at camp, that shouldn't be too bad. But, but I mean, maybe if the Dolphins were looking to fortify their, their uh, right side because it's to his blind side, that could be useful there. It all just depends on what team – I don't think it's going to happen until a couple weeks into training camp because I think that's when teams are going to start to realize, oh, shit, we need a tackle. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think anything will happen until, like, around that time. But I think it's either going to be one of those two teams or a team that we never expected or yeah. no team. Uh, this is a really interesting move in my eyes because Morgan Moses is certainly worth the – Eight million, I believe he's being paid. He's a very consistent tackle. They just signed Bobby Macy, who they may be trying to play at right tackle. Um, 
and the other guy that they have it did they 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 drafted Sam Cosme, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they might be trying to play Sam Cosme immediately. They might be uh, they might be continuing with uh Darian Christensen or Darian yeah, I think it's Darian Christensen who started for them last year uh, was about average. Uh, he wasn't great, he wasn't awful either. But I wouldn't have moved on from Morgan Moses. He's certainly on a, a steal of a deal. Uh, they might fetch a fifth or sixth rounder for him just based on, you know, who's still available on the market and, you know, the cap they see that they're going to need to take on at this point isn't ideal for teams. They're kind of getting to the point where they're not looking to add much more than a, than a uh, uh, minor contract, uh, minimum, big minimum yeah. contract. Um, so I think it's very interesting, and it's something to look at going forward. I think he's probably going to get moved a couple weeks in the training camp, as you said. But I don't know. There's certainly a lot going on there. I'm very confused as to why Washington is doing this, uh, and I'm very intrigued to see where he goes because I think he's a great player. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Big-time news out of the – Arizona Cardinals, Jordan Hicks, the former, you know, starting and solid uh, linebacker for them, has been told he should seek a trade. Um, and they're penciling in Zayvon Collins, who they draft in the first round, as their starter. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's going to – only time will tell if Zayvon Collins actually starts. Um, I think that's going to be, you know, kind of like a week one type of deal, but – I think there's going to be a lot of teams trying to get Hicks, especially teams that need help um, in the middle of the field. Like, uh, I just completely lost my train of thought. But, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that, that go after Jordan Hicks. I think he's worth probably, I'd say, at least a second rounder. Um, yeah, no, so linebacker is a, an important position on the football field but you know it's not as important as it once was I don't I don't think he's going to get you're going to get uh, a day two pick for him I think maybe mm. fourth or fifth rounder is where you're looking at at this point certainly at his contract level he could end up I'm not sure which team would want to take him possibly if the the Raiders go into camp and they're like this is what we have at linebacker is not working yeah. out and we can't run five safety sets. Let's bring in Jordan Hicks. Um, there's potential there. He's not going to go into another NFC West team. Um, I don't know. There's a couple of places he could fit. He could go to the Eagles. I know that's been a fairly popular, popular place to see him sort of mocked. But, you know, it's very up in the air as of right now. It all just and depends I don't, on who wants to yeah. take his contract. Yeah, and there's argument to be said that Jordan Hicks is the most consistent defensive starter on the Cardinals, and I don't know why they would move on from that, even with the signing of Saban Collins, who I don't think is going to be an immediate impact linebacker. And Jordan Hicks knows the scheme, and you need someone where that green dot, someone to get that defense set up. I believe Jordan Hicks has been that guy for them, and I don't know why they would move on from it. I mean, I think I think they're looking at it like they have a lot of young talent. I mean, you still have Isaiah Simmons, who can play on both sides of the field as a linebacker, can play either safety positions. Can I mean, there's been talks that coming into the season, 
he's been like learning how to play play in the corner, but I would say maybe they're looking around seeing like we have all these young guys and Hicks has a sizable contract mm-hmm. and maybe they want more young talent or something. I mean possibly, but I think that this is gonna stunt their defense because a player that I like to make fun of a lot, not be it's not a bad player, but he's certainly not a great player. Uh, and I don't know if he's an NFL starter or ever was. To hear Whitehead, uh, a lot of rumors came out that the only reason he was starting on an NFL field was because he was really, really good at getting the NFL. Like, the defense is set up, which is mm-hmm. what Jordan Hicks has been doing for them. And I don't know if rookie Zayvon Collins is going to be able to step in right away and be able to do that. Because that's certainly a massive task to have and be trusted with. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see Isaiah Simmons do that, though. I mean, he's obviously would be. a bright, a bright football mind if he can play basically any defensive position outside of the line. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see if he could step up and do that. But I mean, whenever you're moving on from a guy like that, like the Chiefs moved on from Justin Houston, and just that was our guy that did that was Justin Houston and Eric Berry. Eric Berry yeah. would get the secondary set. Justin Houston would get everybody else set. And it was definitely like as soon as we got rid of Justin Houston, it was a noticeable drop off. Right. So I feel like any team that moves on from that kind of player, like the Texans are, are trash, but they're going to notice it moving on from Watt because Watt would do that from the line. Yeah, and they also moved on from you know Zach Cunningham, who I believe wore the green dot and was talked to the defensive coordinator during the games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. JJ Watt just did it from memory. Dude's a beast. <laughs> exactly. Mentally, one of the smartest players ever to play. Yeah, for sure. Um, and he's in he's in Carolina, so he might have, you know, an impact here uh, on the Jordan Hicks move. But there's certainly a lot of confusion with those two moves coming from Washington and Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a trade earlier today. The Jaguars traded Josiah Scott to the Eagles for Jameson Houston in the sixth round pick. Did you look at this and go, huh? Yeah. I I'm gonna be honest, I know nothing about either one of them. <laughs> I'm gonna be complete I remember scouting Josiah Scott. Hmm. I don't think he's done anything in the NFL. Um, and I think it's an absolute steal that the Jaguars managed to get a sixth round and another backup cornerback who probably won't make the roster out of him yeah. uh, because they added a ton of corner depth and they probably were thinking, this guy's not going to make the roster for us. Can we ship him away? And it's mm-hmm. brilliant to be able to get a sixth round pick out of that. Um, I'm not sure what the Eagles are thinking. Yeah, at first I read it. I read it as Justin Houston, and I was like, wait, the Eagles signed Justin Houston? What? <laughs> I thought he was still down in yeah. or up in Indianapolis, but um, yeah. When I when I saw it, I was like, I know neither of these guys, but the Jags got another draft pick. Exactly, um, and you know that's a that's a move that you like to see from Urban Meyer and the, the general manager there, just stealing a draft pick, a yeah. crippled organization already. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I we know an Eagles fan. Um, I don't think he was very happy about this move. I don't think Eagles fans are very happy about this move because they just gave up draft capital for essentially a no-name player. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, then the next big thing, uh, I think I'll let you take this. The uh, Packers one? Yes, the Packers. <laughs> so the Packers signed Blake Bortles. I like the move for them. I mean, say Rodgers doesn't come up, doesn't start the season with the team, whether he's he's in a different place or he doesn't show up because he already sees he's not going to show up if he's still on their roster. So he doesn't start with the team. You can try Jordan Love, but from what I've heard, Jordan Love is not ready. So you have somebody that, while he's a shit quarterback, is an NFL like veteran. He does know the game. He's been around the game for years. And Blake Bortles, and you at least have, uh, like you at least have a safety blanket. I did like how you wrote in the notes: former top three NFL Kiwi Blake Bortles. Yes, he was yes. carried for his with his defense, but <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think that since Jacksonville, Blake Bortles has learned a lot. He went to LA with the Rams, mm-hmm. uh, where there's been great quarterback coaching from Sean McVay. Uh, I believe he spent some time last season with the Broncos, and I'm certainly questioning at this point why he didn't beat out Drew Locke for a starting job. Uh, But now he comes to the Packers, uh, which kind of signifies that they're actually looking to move on from Aaron Rodgers. Well, I don't think they've come out yet and spoke on the situation, signing a, what, fourth, fourth or fifth quarterback here, you know, yeah. that kind of signifies that there's certainly going to be changes in the quarterback. Well, it's like the Patriots. You know, I think Cam Newton's going to have a bounce-back season. But after they signed Hoyer, it was kind of apparent their Cam's probably not going to be there, at least not starting for the entire year. Yeah. And they just crowded up the QB room. But, I mean, we, we didn't have that on here. But I do want to take a second to talk about that. I, I love the Brian Hoyer move. Like, if you're Mac Jones, that Hoyer move, it should be exciting for you. Because you have Cam, who can teach you how to use your legs, how to extend the play. And then you have Hoyer, who can teach you how to, kind of a journeyman, can teach you how to read different defenses, can teach you how to, how to use your arm more accurately than a rookie. With Brian Hoyer, probably not much more accurately than a rookie, but a little bit. And so it adds two sides of the coin. That's really good. Because that was one thing, like, when Mahomes had Smith, Mahomes was kind of the kind of guy that had both of those traits. Mm-hmm. Or Smith was one, that guy that had, like, both of those traits to help mentor Mahomes. Right. But Cam doesn't have both of those. So you add in Cam and Hoyer, and they should both be able to help out Mac Jones. I think that's exciting if I'm Mac Jones. Certainly. Um, and, you know, that's a bigger move. I'm surprised I didn't have it on here. I must have, you know, blanked. Um, but that quarterback room for the Patriots, they've got Brian Hoyer, Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, and Mac Jones. What does this mean for Jared Stidham, who they were supposedly confident in moving into last season? I don't think Stidham makes a roster. So then are they going to keep four quarterbacks on the roster? I think they keep three. I think it's Hoyer, Cam, and and um, Sorry, Jones. But, I mean, even if Cam leaves midseason, 
you still have Mac Jones. You have Mac Jones, but then you still have Brian Hoyer, who, with the right pieces, can still win a game. You know, the Patriots' defense is good. They have weapons now. So, I mean, he still can win the game, win a game for you, but, I mean, it's a safety blanket. It's the exact same thing as, you know, if they put out Jordan Love with the Packers. Certainly. Certainly. Um, so, you don't you don't see Jared Stidham making the cut. You see him ending up in the free agency market or on a different team. Yeah, or practice squad. But I'm assuming if they send him another practice squad, he's going to get claimed. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, but there's certainly some intrigue going on in the Patriots quarterback room there. Uh, another big piece of news also about a quarterback, uh, former Hawaii Rainbow Warrior and Washington Redskin. They were the Redskins at the time. Holt Brennan passed away earlier this week. Yeah. I mean, from what it sounds like, he, he was dealing with a lot of personal stuff. He's in the rehab facility. Yeah, it's it's always football seems to be that one sport where you have all these hyped up guys out of college that don't make it in the NFL and you end up hearing about, you know, they did this because of CTE or they got into drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like it surprised me that it was Colt Brennan, but it didn't surprise me that another NFL player was in the news for something sad. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sad to see Cole Brennan go, sure. Uh, he was a great quarterback in Hawaii. He never really took that with him to the NFL level. Um, but it's certainly something upsetting to see that he had to, had to go and, and under certainly such sad circumstances. Yeah. Uh, he was a very smart quarterback, and he probably you know, could have done coaching. I don't know. If he, I, I don't know what he did with his career after football. But it is sad to see. He's one of those guys that I could have seen as like an analyst or something. Absolutely. We are back. We're joined by Phenom NFL expert Zach Goldstein to talk about the Giants. Hello. So, Welcome to the show, Zach. Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. Happy I to be here. I think this is your first like official because that first episode was kind of the lost tapes. Yeah. <laughs> So I think this is like your first official one, but you were on for like, God, almost two hours in that first one. Yeah. I was on for the um, quarterback discussion. Yeah. yeah. That was certainly an interesting discussion. Um, it was. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to redo but that sometime when we can actually get into, when we can actually get it to record. <laughs> for sure. Um, so I think the biggest question to start with with the Giants has to be, uh, the quarterback situation. What are your thoughts there, Zach? Um, I think this is Daniel Jones's last season to really prove it. His first few years in the league have been nothing short of disappointing. Um, for a guy you're gonna you pick them top ten, um, who is widely viewed as a reach, you really have to show why you picked them, and and this goes for any player that's picked as a uh, that. As uh, considered a reach in the draft, you have to go out and you have to prove why you deserve that spot. And to me, Daniel Jones hasn't done that. And this is his last year to make an impression because in the next draft class, there's a ton of quarterbacks that are quite able and quite competent who could just 
super easily take that starting spot. So I think if you're Daniel Jones earlier in the year, you got to really show why you belong in this league. And there's a few games where you can really start to prove that in the, within the first five weeks. You've got Denver week one, who certainly has some holes in their defense. Von Miller's just coming back from a massive injury. So you sh- especially with the weapons put around. Kenny Galladay, you got. You still have Darius Slayton. You're bringing in Kadarius Tony, who's very Odell Beckham like, who's going to make a flashy play, be a speedster, deep threat, do whatever you need to do on the field. You get Saquon Barkley back, and you have to assume that guys like Matt Pert and Andrew Thomas on the line are going to progress. So you're getting all the tools around you now. So there's no pressure on him. The pressure is taken off. Now he has to prove it. Week one against the Broncos, where they have holes on their defense. Week three against the Falcons, where they have the same holes against the defense. And then week five against Dallas, where their defense is just horrendous. So in those three games, if you're Daniel Jones, you really have to show why you belong. I definitely think Daniel Jones will, because I was a big believer that Josh Allen was going to step up once he got digs and he actually got like a solid receiver. And I, I called it two months before the season started. Josh Allen is a, I'd argue, top three quarterback last year. Behind like Mahomes and Rogers, and then you, you, you like you said, Jones is getting, hopefully everything healthy around him, because honestly, when you look at last year, that was not his fault, like at all. He was throwing the ball better than before. Like his just like basic stats didn't look impressive. Two thousand nine hundred forty-three passing yards, ten interceptions, eleven touchdowns, until you realize. That one, his advanced stats are much better. And two, arguably, like looking at the receiver breakdown right now, arguably his best receiver was Golden Tate, who was dealing with some injury stuff. Because, I mean, he did have Evan Ingram, who was kind of, I feel, overrated last year. Evan Ingram is one of the worst players, starters in this league. Yeah. Just going to put that out there. Golden Tate had an 8.1 yards per attempt. when he threw to Golden Tate, he had a 98.8 per, uh, passer rating. And uh, Golden Tate found almost as many touchdowns as anybody. But, I mean, you look at Evan Ingram, who was slated as his, like, number one option. Golden uh, Evan Ingram still had eight drops, five interceptions. Slayton had five drops, two interceptions. And when you look at the five interceptions from Ingram, obviously that's not Daniel J- all Daniel Jones' fault. Nobody throw who has no receiver that has five interceptions when he's targeted can say that even a majority of those are the QB's fault. That kind of I, I think that the interceptions are less of a problem than people think it is uh, with Daniel Jones, and I think more of the problem is the ability is just the ability to is his or lack thereof of recognizing any pressure in the pocket. He well, he's known for his fumble. He has a ton of fumbles each and every year he's played. And there, I, I heard reports that, like, in the offseason, he'd walk around with a football in his hand. People would try to punch it out. Theoretically, you'd think that would help. His fumbling is just way too big of an issue. Yeah, fumbles in the pocket have certainly been an issue for Daniel Jones. But if you look at the back-to-back seasons, he's been pressured 40% of plays, which is an insane rate amongst quarterbacks i think it's probably the top both years i'm not positive on that stat but i mean 
that certainly, you know, what it seems like at 40% is a massively high number. Um, and if they can take that down, then certainly he'll be better at not fumbling in the pocket as much. Uh, but, you know, one thing that really stands out amongst Daniel Jones' advanced stats um, is his accuracy. Like his deep accuracy is nearly 20% more accurate than the rest of the NFL or the, the average uh, NFL quarterback. And I think that's massive, and that speaks towards his connection with a guy like Brady Slayton and, you know, how much of an impact he's going to have with a guy like Kenny Galladay, who's a very, very good deep threat. Yeah, because, I mean, right. inside, like, from the line of scrimmage to the nine-yard line, he had six picks, five touchdowns. Ten to nineteen, he had four picks, zero touchdowns. But then when you get above twenty yards, he had six touchdowns, zero picks, uh, one thirty-two point five passer rating, and his on-target percentage was nine percent higher than the average NFL. So I mean, I think right. he showed the progression of being able to throw downfield. But like Mackis was saying, his line has been. I feel like most of his problem, because if you look at his time to throw breakdown, it's two seconds or less, 32% of the time. That's a majority of time between the time breakdowns. He's getting less than two seconds to throw the ball. Right. And I I understand that. But both years in the league, he, he hasn't played a full season, close to it. He's played 13 in his rookie year and then 14 last year. He has 29 total fumbles. And when you know, as your as your quarterback, you know your team, you know your team well. Mm. When you know your offensive line isn't going to be reliable on every play, when you know that, when you when you know that your receiving options weren't ideal, and you know there were injuries, you have to know that pressure is coming, and pressure is coming quickly, especially as a young quarterback. And for him not to realize that it, it is really really bad. And I think he gets that time in the pocket. Yeah, his his he's going to be a pretty solid quarterback, but it's not it's not always rainbows and sunshine for a quarterback. And unfortunately for him, the state of the offensive line is not is not good. So you you have to show that you can play under these under these circumstances. And twenty nine fumbles in two years. I know that's just a very basic stat. But especially with the, his ability to run, his ability to throw it deep, you have to get on the move. You can't just yeah. be sitting in the pocket and just assume that no one's coming for you. He is a above average moving on the ground, though, when you take out his Yes, fumbles. he is. Yeah, yes. He's a fast yeah. quarterback. He is a fast quarterback. And I, think that, and I think that's somewhere where he shines. But he, can ne- he can't put that to use if he doesn't recognize the pressure that's coming at him. Um, and I think that's, a, that's very... That's very true of him, and I think he's going to struggle with that pressure. Uh, but, you know, if you look at quarterbacks in the past that got pressured, they failed early in their careers. And I don't think that Daniel Jones has been set up for success by the Giants the past two seasons, especially with a coaching staff change. I think coming into this year, maintaining a coaching staff is massive for his development. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think the, the changes that they made in the wide receiver room are going to be massive. Because if you look at Daniel Jones's stats, uh, his advanced stats, his percentage of throws by separation, is he forty-seven percent of his throws were wide open, as opposed to the average among quarterbacks, which is fifty-six percent. That's a massive discrepancy right there. Right, and as a quarterback, you have to know those stats, and you have to know if you're getting 
receivers open that often, you know you're going to get pressure off the edge. You know you're going to get blitzed a lot. And you know you got to get the ball out early. And I think he, I think with better receivers and a line that should be better, we don't know what's going to happen with Andrew Thomas, Matt Pert, the other guys on the line. But when you have all of those situations coming together, I think that he'll be able to get the ball out quicker. Or in the case of, for example, Galladay, you don't even have to get the you – don't, you don't have to worry about separation because he's just going to go up and get it. Same thing with Slayton. And then the other guy, Shepard, if he plays a little bit, he'll play in the slot. Kadarius Tony, who's definitely going to be a slot receiver, who you're going to be able to get the ball too quick. These guys that you have around you, Saquon Barkley, get him back. You get all these guys coming together, and everything should be in your favor. So he should have an easier time. I think what, to me, kind of takes the blame away from him a little bit is that when you look at his actual like PFF game grades, 13 out of 14 of his game grades were either within NFL average or above NFL average with what, one, two, three, four, five, six of those 13 above NFL average by quite a bit of a margin. And that's independent of like the players around him. So I think to me that, that that's even more proof that it was, I mean, he was playing with a terrible team around him like Barkley he only was able to throw to Saquon nine times yeah and I I hope that you're right and it's just a culmination of a bunch of bad turns and just 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 a bad circumstance but uh, as was alluded to prior uh, the fact that you get a stable coaching staff you're going to have the same guys back of course Joe Judge uh, Jason Garrett should be back. I think Kitchens is back. Mm-hmm. Um, so those three guys, your head coach, and then two offensive two offensive coordinators is huge. And as well with the weapons, as you guys mentioned, it's going to be an easier time. Yeah, and I mean, I really like Joe Judge as a head coach. So, I mean, he was able to, to bring his PFF grade up 13 points and just one season under Joe Judge. Imagine what he's going to be able to do this year with more help and still having Joe Judge. And stability in the, right. in the coaching room. Uh, I remember watching, I believe it was the first game of the season where the Giants were playing the Steelers. And I remember turning on the tape and saying, well, well watching the game at the time and saying, wow, Daniel Jones is out here surprising me. Because you could, you could see him under pressure, like, almost all of the snaps and this was a really good Pittsburgh defense and he was dissecting him down the field he had some great passes to Darius Slayton I didn't watch a lot of uh, Daniel Jones outside of that game I've watched more you know, since the season ended and I, I like a lot of what he's doing uh, but a lot of a lot of his empty stats because he's getting pressures and I believe there's just um, I believe his PFF grade is 13 when kept clean as opposed to 25th when he's under pressure, which is a massive difference. And if he's being pressured 40% of the time, you know, he, that's just such a massive drop-off. And he really needs this offensive line to progress. And I think what we saw later in the season from Andrew Thomas uh, is a good sign because, you know, Andrew Thomas started, you know, get in rhythm. Starting to get together. Yeah. 
And um, if if you're if you're the Giants and you're and you're Daniel Jones, you have to be looking op- optimistically this season. And as you mentioned, that game against the Steelers, I remember one drive in particular. I think it was over twenty plays where they systematically were just kept on beating down the Steelers' defense, play after play after play, small gain, wearing them out. Unfortunately, that drive ended with a bad turnover, an interception caused by a lot of pressure off the edge. But if you look at that, that one drive, it was amazing. And if that's what Daniel Jones is going to be, the Giants have a bright future. Yeah, I think, honestly, a lot of the public perception of Daniel Jones, that's kind of hindering people's ability to look at him and see, like, a growing quarterback, is the the whole, like, tripping incident where he's breaking down the field and he just tripped before the end zone. I think that was kind of when I saw people start to, like, turn on Daniel Jones from he's a growing quarterback that's progressing and he doesn't have a lot around him, but he's still getting better, to oh, he's a bust. When is he going to be replaced in New York? Like, At least for me, that's when I started to see that, those sorts of conversations. So I don't think it's yeah. necessarily all Jones' fault when it comes to his perception. Yeah, I saw the same, and I think that play, was, of course it was embarrassing. You have an 80-yard run, and then you trip. You had an open mm-hmm. touchdown. Of course, that type of stuff happens in every sport, and it happens to every player. Steph Curry Daniel, did it earlier this season where he's going up for a yeah. wide open layup and just face planted. Steph Curry did that on that dunk attempt against the Lakers a few years ago. It happens yeah. to everyone. It's a mis- it's a mistake that is bound to happen. No player is immune from that. Mm-hmm. We've all seen that type of stuff time and time again. And anybody and in my opinion, anybody who looks into that type of play and says, Oh, he's a bust just because of that. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't follow this. They don't. They, they, they don't care. It's a lot like yeah. Darnold when the seeing ghosts thing came out. Like the NFL did him dirty releasing that mic, that mic audio. <laughs> but but I mean that was kind of the same thing with Darnold where you started to see it go from he's a young quarterback with a shit team that's progressing to oh he's seeing ghosts out there. He must not be smart. He must not be seeing the field right and like when he was obviously just, like, making... It was a metaphor for how it, like... For being paranoid in the pro, in the pocket because he had a terrible line, kind of like Jones. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You, yeah, I mean... And but, can you really blame Darnold? He... I think that was right around the time when he, like, was recovering from mono, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Right. And there was really nobody around him. Now, you, you, let's say you put Darnold on, on the Jets this year and same stuff happens. Yeah, you can make the bus, which is fair. But he's in a whole new situation. And you, you let's just say you put him back on the Jets. You've got a whole lot to work with now. You've got Corey Davis, uh, presumably a healthy Denzel Mims. Mm-hmm. They drafted a running back. I think it was – who was it again? I forgot. Michael Carter. Michael Carter. They drafted Michael Carter and then – you got Elijah Vera Tucker in the in the draft. Let's yeah. say Zach Wilson was, I don't know, for argument's sake, Jamar Chase. And then you put Darnold back there, that's a lot to work with. And or that would Kyle be a very Pitts. similar situation. Or Pitt yeah, Pitts. You take Pitts, 
that's a very similar situation to what Daniel Jones is in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Daniel, this is certainly a prove it year for Daniel Jones. I think Sky and I are very much on the side that you know Daniel Jones is going to go up. He's going to succeed, uh, and I'm, well, I think I'm very high on the Giants. I have them going going to the playoffs. I believe they have them as a wild card team. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with the defense as well. This is a really great defense. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, they added the Dory Jackson. Um, you're going to get a full season of Xavier McKinney, and he showed a lot of promise last year. And just that, that defense is going to continue to age. You still have Bradbury, who was incredible last year. And that defense is just con- going to continue to get better. Got Aziz Ojolari in the draft, addressing one of your biggest needs at edge. I, I think I think that the Giants' defense has potential to be a top, top five defense this year. Yeah, and I mean, there were some people that were saying they should have looked for a replacement for Daniel Jones like this off season. But when you look at where they drafted, by the time they were up, how many quarterbacks are there that you can say? will come in day one and be better than Daniel Jones. I don't really – I mean, maybe Justin Fields, but – I don't think that Justin Fields would have been a smart pick. No. Yeah, because I, I think that – because if Daniel Jones – because then you got Justin Fields and then no team is buying high on, on Daniel Jones, especially after his first two seasons. And teams mm-hmm. might show see, see, see promise in Daniel Jones – but that doesn't mean that he's that he's ever going to be able to tap into it. Yeah. So if you're a team that needs a quarterback for the future, let's just say before the draft. Before the draft, there's a bunch of teams that need a quarterback. Let's say you're, let's say you're New England, and you want to make a trade for Daniel Jones. You're not trading some of your big assets for, for an unproven quarterback. So then you go draft you go and draft Justin Fields, and then teams that need a quarterback, they not they'll be like, yeah, we'll take Daniel Jones. Here's a late round pick. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I was meaning like, uh, if you're the Giants, who's there? Who's still there that like you could have drafted? And is it like I think Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are going to be just as good as Daniel Jones this season, coming into the season. But those are like the only two guys that that I saw that like if Daniel Jones doesn't make progression, but those were the only two guys that I really saw that was like okay. Those two guys I would draft to take over on of Daniel Jones, but nobody really else. I mean, I think Fields would have been better than Daniel Jones if we're talking Daniel Jones last year. Daniel Jones last but, year was better than Daniel Jones first year, though. Yeah, for sure. But I, I don't, I don't think that uh, unless Trevor Lawrence had slipped to eleven, or slipped to eleven, which wasn't happening. You're not drafting a quarterback through the Giants. And they made the right move going to trade down with the Bears, getting assets, and picking Kadarius Toney. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it, talking about the draft, if you're the Giants, you have to – You have if you're Dave Gettleman, it's a message to Dave Gettleman and all the trainers that uh, and all the, uh, uh, the scouting guys that work for the Giants, you need to be looking at quarterbacks next year. It's a talented class – Got Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, and a bunch more. You have to be ready to do 
to study tape on those quarterbacks. Because if Daniel Jones disappoints, what are you going to do? Well, if Daniel Jones disappoints, that room's getting fired. Well, I'm not talking about getting fired. I'm saying, look, right. you have to be able – you have to be ready to say there's a bunch of quarterbacks here that have a ton of potential. Oh, absolutely. No, I, and I if, completely agree with you. And but if you're at this point, gentleman, if, you have to be yeah. looking at that. If, at this point, if Daniel Jones fails this season and the Giants have another, you know, uh, their 17 games, a 5-12 and 12 season, I think Gettleman is gone, and along with Daniel Jones. Right. Right. Um, but anyways, uh, this is certainly a talented class, and it's a class that I would love to be picking in if I was – you know, I'd given up on Daniel Jones. Uh, but, you know, it, we have to wait until the season to really diagnose what Daniel Jones is and if he is the guy going forward. Yeah, right. This is like Daniel Jones' first actual chance to me. Yeah. Because with the injuries and, like, even with that, like, solid group that he was actually being able to throw to, like, Ingram, Slayton, Shepard, like, those three were, and Tate were, like, his four biggest ones. They were still in and out of the lineup constantly, like mm-hmm. all of them, basically. Right. And you look at that; all of those guys could possibly be on the move this season. Yeah, you've got yeah. Evan Ingram, who, for even though he was in the Pro Bowl, has to be a trade target for a team that's a, a for for a team that desperately, desperately, desperately needs a tight end because he wasn't good. He's like just enough that if you need something, you can and throw. And you still have Kyle Rudolph too. You have Kyle Rudolph. More than capable. Right. And then yeah. another guy that, if he doesn't get traded or released, I'd be shocked. Sterling Shepard, because you drafted Kadarius Tony to take his spot. He's for sure playing in the slot. Even Slayton can get traded because he's kind of like a Kenny Galladay Jr. in a way mm-hmm. with their play style and they like to go deep and go up for the ball. And then um, Golden Tate, I don't think he's there anymore. No, he's not. So all of those receivers could, that from last year could be on them. Yeah. Yeah. And do you even have like some additional depth there at wide receiver with uh, – Former like four two six runner John Ross and Dante Pettis, who right. were both, uh, you know, top picks who have kind of you know fallen off, never really made a name for themselves. Yeah, right. I don't expect John Ross to really be playing wide receiver. I expect him to just plug him in a kick returner and punt returner because he's one of the fastest guys in the NFL, and. I think he's more effective there. Yeah, certainly. Um, but the defense is something I'm really excited for. I was very high on Lorenzo Carter uh, as a breakout player last season, but he got injured uh, for a good chunk of time. What are your thoughts You know, on the edge position now that you've added Aziz Ojolari? Do you see this being a, a solid edge position or something that they may, may need to add more in free agency? I like where they're at. Because I, I think that Azizo Jolari at pick 50 was an absolute steal. There's no one, you can't have anybody fall into your lap that fits what they need 
and is talented more than Aziz Ojolari. You could have argued the Giants could have drafted him at pick 20, and you got him at pick 50. That's just a massive win for the for the Giants. And I, I think with, with the addition of him, you get Lorenzo Carter back. I think that this could be a more than solid edge, which is an issue they had. And they've got plenty of depth throughout the defense that, God forbid, one of those guys goes down, they could just plug one of them, uh, plug someone else in. Yeah. So I, I think I think that the Giants' edge talent and depth could potentially be quite good. Yeah, well, certainly a lot of talent there. Um, yeah. You know, what's your prediction record-wise for the Giants this season? I'm hovering somewhere around. A, I haven't done like official predictions yet, but I'm hovering. Because their schedule is quite easy, they're uh, one, they have one of the easiest schedules in the league. I, I I've got potentially anywhere between seven and ten if everything goes wrong, and twelve and five. I, I think that the draw that they got with the teams that they have to play. If you look at their first seven games those are six to seven games those are all winnable maybe you don't want to see the rams but they're at home for that and then you play the chiefs and then you've got raiders which will be a win a bye week buccaneers which should be lost and then the rest of the season isn't too tough yeah um, certainly, it's an easy schedule. I think I had them uh, when I did a, a full season mock for Phenom. I think I had them at eleven and five and going to the wild card. I believe I had them winning that game against the Buccaneers too, just based on uh, coming off a bye. You know, this is a talented team and certainly well rested and spending two weeks just working on uh, film for the Buccaneers. That's certainly an upset we should we should watch for. Uh, and I think they they could very much make the playoffs in the NFC. Just a, a week, the weaker side um, of the NFL. Uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, Sky? Yeah, I think we can kind of count the Saints out of being what the Saints were for the past few years. Right. So mm-hmm. the NFC lost that kind of contender. I think filling that gap will either be yeah, New York or I could see Minnesota jumping up back into the playoff picture this year. But I think New York is definitely going to claim one of the wild cards. I I think Washington's a couple injuries away from New York jumping them and for the division. Right. When you look at Washington's defense, which is, of course, incredible, that's not the concern. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more their offense. Is, is At his age, is Ryan Fitzpatrick going to be able to hold down that offense and propel them to the playoffs? Alex I think so. Last year. Alex Smith did it last year, but it was a very weird year. This is going to be a more normal. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Fitz should be able to do it, but I think Fitz is – I don't don't think he's the issue. I think Washington's defense is great, but it lacks some sort of depth of, like, above replacement-level players within that depth. So I think there are a couple, like, injuries on the defensive side away from New York's defense being better. I'm in full agreement. I mean, they just lost Carrigan to the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Montez Sweat goes down, Chase Young goes down, Matt Ioannidis goes down, and you've got major problems. 
Yeah. That could be easily exploited. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's really big for the Giants and their outlooks in this division is that they're certainly vying with Washington for the best defense, but they're also vying with the Cowboys for the best offense. For sure. And that kind of, you know, puts them in this point where they're the most complete team in the division. I'm in full agreement there. I, I, I just think that there's a few games where they really, really have to get lucky. As you mentioned, that, that game against Tampa Bay off the bye week, you're also going to have to get lucky against the Rams, even though you're at home. You'll probably have to get lucky against the Chargers. And especially with the season being longer, it's going to be more grueling. Just because there's one more game didn't mean that the NFL was going to add add out. It was going to add another bye week. You still have one bye week. You've got another week longer. Yeah, but I don't think the game, the extra game, is as much of an issue as it's being made out to be because they all they did was shorten the preseason. So you're still playing the same amount of football. It's just. They basically just shifted a preseason game into a regular season game. Right, but if if you're if you're Daniel Jones, who is injury prone, or Darius Slayton, who's had some injuries, Shepard, who has had a ton of concussions, that short shortened preseason means you have less time to get ready for the actual season. Yeah, and one true. week can make all the difference. You look yeah. at the NBA, you see, you look, look at the NBA with their shortened season really just no startup time. There were teams like the Lakers and the Heat that got just over two months to go from playing in the NBA Finals to playing in the regular season. There's been a ton of NBA injuries, and especially in a physical, physical sport like football that's known for its brutality. 275-pound guys sprinting at you. That one week could make all mean all the difference between a major injury and a playoff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us, Seth. Yeah. Thank of course. You, thank you guys. Thank you guys. And we are back to talk about the NBA playoffs. We had to kind of go to a break quickly there. Our Zoom was running out of time, so we had to make a new one. Um. Yeah, Marcus, you want to get started? Yeah, so I think this is the first time that we're talking about a sport outside of the football realm, and I think that's very exciting. Mm. Um, so the NBA playoffs uh, started this evening with the play-in rounds, uh, and right now, as of 8.36 in the evening, the Pacers are beating the Hornets 130-98. to 98. So it should be a shoe-in for the Pacers at this point, and I believe they play either the Wizards or the Celtics for the last spot. Um, who do you have winning the Wizards-Celtics game? I have the Celtics. Like, I know they're dealing with some injury issues, but so is Washington. Beal's banged up. He said that playing on Sunday was a mistake. That's two days ago. So right. I think without Beal, the Wizards have very little chance of, uh, of actually winning against Boston. But I do think if it comes down to Washington and the Pacers, then it's going to be Washington if Beals can be fully healthy by, by next week, by this weekend. Certainly, yeah. Especially if Karis LeVert is still out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think Charlotte's a good team, a progressing team, but Charlotte's also a very young team. 
And so I think that's where they're running into issues because the Pacers aren't as nearly as young as Charlotte is. Exactly. Um, and then on the other side of things, the play on teams in the no, play in teams on the West, uh, we have the Warriors and the Lakers. Whoever wins that game goes to the playoffs. The loser goes on to play either the Grizzlies or the Spurs. What do you have going on there? So I'm a huge Warriors fan. I think everybody that you know in Phenom that we're friends with knows that I'm a huge Warriors fan. I have I actually have the Warriors losing tomorrow to the Lakers. If LeBron is healthy and back, if AD is healthy, then the Warriors, I think, lose that game. But I think Memphis beats out the Spurs and the Warriors beat the Grizzlies. The Warriors have the fortune to play the Grizzlies just a few days before when they would potentially be playing them if, if uh, the Grizzlies win and the Warriors lose. And the Warriors won pretty handedly. I mean, it was kind of close at the end, but not really. Steph had like four threes in the last two minutes or whatever to propel them to the win. And yeah. I, I think Memphis is another one of those teams that's just young and not quite there. And they don't really have an answer for anybody like Steph. And I mean, the Warriors are getting a lot of criticism for being a small team right now with Wiseman being mm-hmm. out. I mean, mm-hmm. they do still have Kawhi Looney, but Kawhi Looney is only 6'9. And uh, Toscano Anderson's like 6'7 or something like that. So they are kind of small, but they dominated Memphis on the boards on Sunday. So I see it playing out as Warriors lose Wednesday, Memphis wins, the Warriors beat Memphis, and they jump in the eighth seed with Utah, and the uh, Lakers take the seventh seed against Phoenix. All right. Um, Yeah, I think I have it playing out fairly similarly there. I actually have the Spurs beating the Grizzlies, but then the Warriors beating the Spurs. Um, And on the opposite side, the Pacers uh, will be playing either the Celtics or the Wizards. I made a video for Phenom that may or may not be out on TikTok at this point. I haven't checked. Uh, We're talking about the last time the Celtics and the Wizards met up. You know, that 2017 series was absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, I have the Wizards beating the Celtics um, and then the Pacers beating the Celtics. Uh, to make the seven and eight seed, the Wizards and the Pacers. I think that could definitely happen. I think it all comes down to how Beal is feeling when they play. Um, Certainly, how, how Beal's feeling today, because that team, yeah. while Russell Westbrook has been phenomenal, that's still Bradley Beal's team. If Beal wants to take a shot, Beal's going to take a shot. So, right. He, I mean, he's their go-to guy. He's been hot. He finished second in the scoring title or the scoring title race behind Steph and he's one of the best players in the league so having him on the court is a boost but I think he's off the court Boston's too much Absolutely. or if he's not playing 100% oh, for sure. For sure. Um, do we want to start with eastern predictions or the, the western predictions for this next part um Let's do East, because I've got some bold takes in the West. All right, that works for me. All right, so first round, you had you had the 76ers against the... Um, I believe against the... Pacers, yeah? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Pacers or Wizards? One of the two. I think um, So how do you see that Wizards. series going? Yeah, Wizards. Um, I see... 
Philly winning pretty easily in five. I think Philly's just too talented of a team to lose to really any of those four teams that could potentially play them. Um, Joel Embiid's too much to handle down low for any of those teams. And they still have Dwight Howard. So when you take out Joel Embiid, you have another, like, tower type of guy to put in there. And uh, Philly's ball, ball movement has been exceptional this year. So I think Philly wins in five. Yeah, and the big thing about Philly is, you know, against any of these teams, they kind of have two all-defensive guards in Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel can really negate whatever the Celtics, Wizards, or Pacers put out there. Yeah. Especially when they also have Joel Embiid in the paint. Yeah. KU alum. Joel Embiid. (laughs) Joel Embiid. Played at KU at the same time my boy was on campus. Carter Stanley. Carter Stanley. Absolute stud. We want to get him on the pod. Carter Stanley, why aren't you here? (laughs) If you're listening, Carter Stanley, I think you could have played better center at KU than Joel Embiid. Oh, okay. Hot takes all around. <laughs> uh, and then we have the Nets playing either the Celtics, Wizards, or Pacers. Another handily, you know, win right there for the Nets. Probably four or five games. Yeah, so, like, the breakdown between it is they're either going to play Boston or the Wizards. Mm-hmm. And I think the Nets, either one, they win in four. I mean, yeah, you could certainly see that. I know that the Wizards have... Russell Westbrook, who hasn't necessarily been the best in the playoffs throughout his career, but he can certainly carry the team to an extent. Uh, the Celtics, you know, they just don't they don't really have anything to counter what the Nets put out there, um, especially with, you know, out without having big men and the Nets kind of having, you know, some underrated talent in the big man position with Nicholas Claxton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Kevin Durant can play legitimate power at times. Um, I don't really think that the Celtics have anything that can match up there. Certainly against if all three stars of the Nets are healthy, the Celtics are just... Yeah, that's kind of the same caveat as like the Lakers when we get to the Western side. It's if they can stay healthy. That's the biggest thing. Like If they can stay healthy, no offense in the league can run with the Nets. But there are teams' offenses that are much better than the Nets' defense. So it's going to be Brooklyn's heel where if Beal and Westbrook can jump out there, like if they end up playing Washington, Beal and Westbrook can jump out there and control the pace from their offensive point of view, then mm-hmm. Brooklyn could be in trouble. Uh, I have them playing the Heat in the second round, and I could see the Heat doing that as well, controlling the offensive pace and making Brooklyn's poor defense pay. But it's all going to be how Brooklyn responds. Wow. Wait, so you have the Heat beating the Buccaneers. I mean, not Buccaneers. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. So we want to jump into that game? I think we should. That was a pretty hot take you just dropped. Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking at a Miami team that was is coming off a hot postseason. They went all the way to the finals. Everybody kind of counted them as like a first round out last year. And they, they shocked everybody. Jimmy Butler knows how to win in the playoffs. He knows he's probably one of the most underrated playoff players in the league right now. He can put a team on his back and carry them. Plus, you still have Tyler Hero, who's continuing to progress in his second year. Played great, as especially for a rookie in the playoffs last year. Phenomenal. 
and like they still have all the pieces. They still have Bam. Like Miami is primed for Milwaukee, who Milwaukee frequently chokes in the playoffs. Giannis disappears in the playoffs a lot of times. Yeah, and, no, I mean, I when you look at those two teams' stars, because yeah. both of those teams are kind of star deep. If you look at those teams' two stars, Giannis and Jimmy Butler, which mm-hmm. one would you trust more in a playoff game? I have this series going down to seven, so which one would you trust more in game seven in the playoffs? I'm going with Jimmy I Butler. Would, yeah, I would have to go Butler there, but I think you know the Bucks have other talent on that team that is Hardly. better than what Peter putting up. Drew Holiday is one of the most under, I feel like everyone says this, but he is very underrated. Uh, but mm-hmm. Chris Middleton, too, um, I think Bam Adebayo can definitely control a lot of the paint against a guy like Giannis. Miami has some very underrated perimeter offense, though. Like, nobody talks true. about Duncan Robinson. Nobody really yeah. talks about Tyler, he- Tyler Hero's game outside of the arc. They have both of those guys that can do that. And Milwaukee yeah. doesn't really have many many players that can keep up with that pace if Miami gets hot from three like they did last year in the playoffs. Giannis mm-hmm. can true. hit a three, but Giannis isn't a three-point shooter. Not, right. not in high so, volumes. Yeah, but there was a lot of concerns about the bubble last season because it allowed... I believe there was something that had to do with the hoops. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people were talking about how, you know, that you could you could see the basket better or something, and that made three-point shooting easier. Yeah, maybe. But Miami's a three-point shooting team. Like, right. underratedly. Like, Duncan Robinson's a pure shooter. Tyra Hero absolutely. is all-around offensively, like, going to be a very good all-around offensive player. But he still shoots the ball very well. Jimmy Butler is starting to work on his perimeter game. Yeah. But, like, that, for some reason in the playoffs, that always clicks for Jimmy. Uh, finally, I, actually, here, sorry. The Pacers oh. beat the uh, Hornets just now 144 to 117. Mm-hmm. So that's oh. confirmed now. Yeah. All right. So Pacers win there. Um, but going back to this, you know, I know the Heat are a shooting team, but having the advantage of making shooting easier for a shooting team is massive. Yeah. When we were talking that. about the bubble last year. I get that because um, we saw it in the West with the Suns, but then the Suns proved to be a team. I think Miami making the playoffs again proved that it wasn't a fluke. In my eyes, at yeah. least. Because that, that's exactly I, I what we're seeing it. with the Suns. Like, the Suns went on that wild run in the bubble play-in games and, mm-hmm. and uh, just missed it. But Phoenix proved to be that team still this season. Yeah. So, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I could... Uh, I think Miami's going to come away with it. I think Giannis is going to choke late into the series. And like I said, game seven, I'd rather have the ball in Jimmy Butler's hands than Giannis's. I'm going to disagree with you there. I'm going to have the Bucks winning that game. But I certainly see where you're coming from. And there's certainly potential for that series to be an upset. Um, the next series in the East is the Knicks and the Hawks. Uh, I had the Knicks in seven. I mean, the Knicks are yeah. a novelty p- team this year. Like, there's a lot of Knicks fans in the in the Phenom group, and the Knicks aren't a contender. <laughs> like, they got no, in, but not they're not going to do anything. I I think they win round one because you're facing an also pretty weak Hawks team that 
I mean, if either of these teams are in the West, neither of them are making the playoffs. Like, it's one of those That's things true. where, or maybe they're play-in teams, but mm-hmm. the Knicks don't have really, I mean, I have them winning in seven, but then I have them just getting obliterated by Philly the next round. They don't have a star player, and Julius Randle isn't a number one option. You need somebody else that, that they need to bring in in the offseason that can be that number one guy. Randle's great as a yeah. number two. Like, I love Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is great as a number two. Julius Julius Randle is certainly an incredible player and has been all season for them, but he's going up against a Hawks team that has, I believe, Clint Capella and John Collins mm-hmm. in the paint there, and he has to go against both of them this entire series. And I think if they can shut him down, that's, that's a pretty easy win for the Hawks. Yeah, I just think New York, they have this some like this energy and momentum around them where I think it, it they get – it's kind of a toss-up in Game 7 for me, but I think the Knicks, because of that, get it. They're a novelty team. They're they're like, you know, have you heard about, like, an American Idol and shows like that? They always pick one that they call, like, the GOAT contestant mm-hmm. where it's, like, a joke to progress in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was kind of a joke to put the Knicks in. Like, at the beginning of the season, it was like, what if the Knicks made it? That'd be funny. And then they did, and, yeah, I just it's kind of like a publicity thing for the NBA. Yeah. Like, they earned it, don't get me wrong, but, yeah, I don't know. They're playing in an easy East, mm-hmm. and if the Knicks are in the West, they're, they're a 9-10-11 seed. Exactly. Um, do we want to continue with the East or switch over to our first-round projections for the West? Um, we can do the West. All right, that works. So our first matchup would be the Jazz versus, I believe you have, we both have the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Listen, Jazz Warriors round the, one. The Warriors are going to come in hot. Steph is riding, still riding the streak. Everybody kind of stopped talking about it once he had the 18 points against Washington, and then the next game literally dumped in like high 30s or whatever. Steph's still riding this amazing hot streak. In my opinion, the MVP of the league, and now he's going with momentum of getting a big win to solidify that eighth seed, and. uh I think they beat Utah in six. I think when you're looking at those two teams, Utah is Utah's game outside of Donovan Mitchell is primarily down low, getting the ball down low. And the Warriors, or like not getting the ball down low, sorry, down like interior defense. Like Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player in the world, but Rudy Gobert can't can't step out and take that defensively outside of the paint really. So, then you look at the Warriors, a team where Andrew Wiggins has been scoring great in flashes. Uh, Jordan Poole has done great in flashes. They sat Dre and Steph on uh, I believe it was Friday night, Thursday or Friday night. They sat Steph, Dre, and Wiggins, and Poole came out and dropped 40. Mm-hmm. So, against the Pelicans. So, you're putting in um, a team that's hot right now. The Warriors are one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now against a one seed who, in most years, would not be a one seed. Right. And so I think the Warriors take it in six. I think they find their fire on the perimeter. And, yeah. Yeah, I think the Jazz definitely are not going to succeed in the playoffs. And I I agree with you. I think the Warriors do have a good chance of beating up the Jazz. Because if you look at it, the Jazz have 
two contenders for the sixth man of the year award. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that matters less on an NBA team than the, than the bench in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, Jordan, you know, they're playing their starters for closer to 40 minutes in the playoffs. And that's going to limit how much that bench does because they really, the Jazz throughout the season have generated much of their advantage from the bench, from having Jordan Clarkson and um, Joe Ingles coming off the bench. Yeah. I mean, that that was why the Warriors went 73-9 and nine. like a few years ago was their second team was better than a lot of, than over half the league's starting five. Like, But right. then you saw in the playoffs, it didn't matter as much. They got tested a little bit. Exactly. So, yeah, I see the Warriors taking it in six. Um, I think Utah kind of gets exposed. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree there. Um, then we have the Suns versus the Lakers. Ooh, okay. Um, so this is a very big what-if matchup, because what if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are both completely healthy? Yeah, what if one and of them is hurt? Not. Like, yeah. like, I think it's going to come down to if one of them is hurt in the playoffs, they're screwed for me. I have them yeah. winning in six against Phoenix that's giving them like a game where one of them are hurt because I think <laughs> if they're both healthy they win in five but I mean if either one of them misses more than one game Phoenix I could see taking the series and then that opens it up to the Chargers or not the Chargers, Chargers. I, I'm looking at the my bracket and I saw LAC and we were just talking about football the Clippers <laughs> that opens it up for like the Clippers or um, I'm not going to spoil my my next game, but that was up for like the Clippers or the Warriors or blank team that I'm sure we'll talk about next. Uh, right. To go into that Western Conference Finals because, I mean, if the Clippers are any sorts of slow with the Warriors come in, I could see an upset there. Mm-hmm. And then you look at if the Lakers are injured and get knocked out round one, do you really think Phoenix is going to hold up against a more veteran Warriors team? No. I mean, that's a very good question. Um, I have the Suns beating the Lakers here. Just based on, you know, what's happened with injuries, I don't think Denise Schroeder is going to stand up against all. I don't – you're putting LeBron James on Booker – I think Booker can still drop 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he's going to go crazy. We haven't really seen Booker in the playoffs. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. But they also have... Did what? you call Dennis Schroeder Denise Schroeder? I don't know. He's German. I don't know. Uh, I was like... <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard people call him, I'll call him that. I've heard people call him Schroeder. I, I don't know. That's it's Germany. Dinsmore type stuff. <laughs> Hey, hey, I, I lived in <laughs> Germany for like two months there. And I'm going to pretend I know what I'm talking about. All right? <laughs> but yeah, I think Bruh. if one of those stars for the Lakers is injured or has like a nagging injury that limits them, I, I yeah. also think that it's it's the uh, Suns series to lose. But I'm going well, certainly. giving them the benefit of the doubt that I think part of LeBron being hurt is they wanted to rest him without getting fined. Right. At the same time, LeBron has also been hurt pretty much all year off and on. Yeah. But this is a very hot Suns team, too. Yeah. 
coming into this matchup. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a it's a very interesting matchup. I have the Suns eking it out in seven, uh, because I I feel like any of those players injured, even if they're not, if even if they're playing and they're not fully healthy, mm. DeAndre Ayton and um, Devin Booker are good enough to take advantage. Yeah, for sure. And I think Aiton wins over Drummond based off of what we've seen from Drummond lately. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and then we have the Nuggets versus the Trailblazers. I kind of have a kind of have a hot take here. Uh, so I'll let you go first. I have Portland winning in seven. I also have Portland winning in seven. <laughs> so so yes. I think I think uh, you know when you look at Denver, their entire team runs through Nikola Jokic, especially with Murray out for the season. Like if they had Murray, this is a different story. Oh, absolutely. I think Murray is like Murray is good enough to be a one, like a number one option on this team. Mm-hmm. But taking him out, they expose some of your guard depth. It limits your bench, and I know they've been playing with it for a little while, but. But Jokic has a bad game, one bad game, and it's out. And they don't really have the perimeter defense to be able to withstand a Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum attack. Absolutely. And Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum are known for doing this in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Especially Dame. Yeah. That's where Dame time was born. That's where all these incredible game-winning shots are, were born was Damian Williams. And Damian, 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 Damian Lillard. Damian <laughs> I, okay, this is really random, but I have, like, right next to where I'm recording, where, like, if I just look forward, it's a Chiefs poster with Damian Williams as one of the players on it. So I was, like, looking, and it just got crossed between Lord and Williams. I do that a lot. I don't know if you've noticed. but Just a little bit. Um, yeah. So I completely agree with what you're saying. The Trailblazers have this perimeter-centric team. Uh, with the injuries to the Nuggets, I don't know if they have the players to match up out there. And we mm-hmm. all know Dame and McCollum go off in the playoffs. For sure. Uh, and I really – I struggle to see the Nuggets winning. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. He pretty much covered it already. Yeah, of course. Uh, qu- seven. That's why I was saying, like, um, before we go to the Eastern, that's what I was saying between, like, if – the Lakers lose, that completely opens it up to where if the Warriors can get past the Clippers, then I see them beating either Portland or Phoenix. But I also see if the Clippers win, beating Portland or Phoenix. So right. I think whoever is in that next matchup between the, the Clippers and the Warriors, whoever wins that, if the Lakers are eliminated and Denver does get upset by Portland, which I think they that both are huge possibilities, mm-hmm. I mean – that's either the Clippers or the Warriors side of the bracket to lose. Right. Um, but, well, our next game is the Clippers versus the Mavericks. Are you completely ruling out the Mavericks here? Yes. You are. Yeah. Interesting. I think with Porzingis, obviously injury prone. I love Bobby, but Bobby isn't that type of player in this system. He was, he was exceptionally well in the Sixers. I know he's had a few good games this year. But I don't see him being like an every night type of like lean on guy. Of course, Luca is that guy for them. But Luca hasn't. Luca's an amazing superstar, one of the best in the game. But he hasn't reached that potential yet, where I could just see him leading a team like Steph 
I could see Steph taking Golden State on his back through the playoffs and just flipping that switch. I could see LeBron flipping that switch if he's healthy. Like, on the other side of the bracket, I could see KD doing that. I could see Jimmy Butler doing that. But I haven't seen enough evidence to say that Luka can do that. Right. So I think even if Dallas wins, I think that just makes it easier for Golden State. But if the Clippers win, I have Clippers winning in five um, pretty easily over the Mavericks. I just think if Kawhi is playing well, that's that's a slam dunk for them. And I mean, but it's also Paul George in the playoffs. So Paul George, I don't exactly. Know. Yeah. Um, no, I think I'm giving I think Paul the George Mavericks the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I think the Mavericks put up a little bit more of a fight than you're suggesting that they will. But, again, I think it's the Clippers series to lose at this point. Yeah. Um, so I think we head back to the East and continue the matchups there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have the 76ers. I believe you said the Knicks and I said the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I have the 76ers winning either way. Yeah, I do too. I've been winning in four either way. Yeah. Um, the Hawks, you know, so much of that offense is run through, you know, Trey Young, um, and he's not going to be able to to deal with Matisse Thibel or Ben Simmons, mm-hmm. depending on who we put on him. Um, and that's a really tough matchup for him in round, round two. The uh, and in the Knicks. I would say about the guard matchups is can Ben Simmons put up offensive production that would equal whatever. Trey Young does. Ben Simmons is not really an offensive player, mm-hmm. especially outside of the paint, where Trey Young specializes. Trey Young's young Steph Curry, uh, not not exactly, of course, but you know what I mean. Like he's he's incredible beyond the arc. Can right. Ben Simmons step, you know, five six feet beyond the arc and cover him with Trey yes. Young's handles? Yes. Trey Young is also faster than Ben Simmons. No. It's like if he, if he pulls Ben out five, six feet, puts a little bit of a sauce on him, I think okay. probably set six, <laughs> seven times out of ten, he's going to blow by Ben Simmons. But oh can Ben God. Simmons create offensive production that would match that? Of course, Ben Simmons is a great defensive player, but he doesn't play guys like Trey Young all the time where, you know, I. I would say maybe not six, seven times out of ten, maybe four or five times out of ten, but that adds up. You know, the Trey on Steph Curry light, it was Steph Curry I could see like seven, eight times out of ten he's blowing by Ben Simmons, but that's just because Steph's known for his insane handles and doing that to some of the best defenders in the league. I circle um, everything back to the Warriors, but... Damn. Um, <laughs> geez, that's a really bold take you made because... Simmons, his speed is so massively underrated. Um, wow. He's just long. Uh, no, he's not just long. He's fast, too, no, man. No, he, he's just a tall yes, point guard is, with bro. arms. No, he's, he's, he's just so tall much with more arms. than that. He's not that fast. He has a terrible offensive game. Be, be he's on, the best be transition player in the league. Best ooh, transition player ooh, in the league. Ooh, 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 oh, yes. Oh, yes. Giannis Antetokounmpo? Yes. That's a one-man show. Giannis can weave through anybody in the league in transition. Bro, Same and with Giannis KD. Is shit. Giannis and Ben Simmons are both equally as dominant in transition. Oh, don't. No, no, no. Yes, no, no, no. I'm telling you. But no, it doesn't no, no. matter because we can just put Matisse Thibault on Trey Young if we don't like the Ben Simmons match. <laughs> 
which Traylon would still sauce up. I have more confidence you in Ben Simmons capping. being able to guard him than Matisse Thibault. You are capping. I have way more confidence. So hard, way more confidence in Ben Simmons being able to guard him. <laughs> Bro, you can't you can't sit here and say this. Trey Young is. Mm. All right, but okay. So either way, all right. Let me let me just let me just take it for a second here. Trey Young blows by Ben Simmons mm-hmm. or Matisse Thybul, and he has to deal with the best help defender in the league. And Joel Embiid sitting there in the paint. Yeah, exactly. But that pulls Joel Embiid into Trey because as soon as Trey breaks that first level, Embiid's going to be in the paint. That means Embiid switches out to help guard him. One, you've got to worry about the time that it takes Embiid to get there because of how dangerous of a shooter Trey Young is. Two, that takes Embiid off somebody else because now you have Embiid coming up and Ben Simmons behind Trey Young, and that opens up somebody else. So either Trey Young pulls up while Embiid's running there. Or he finds the open man once Embiid reaches like halfway to him. This is so, so I bold. Think either way, that's a three. That's either a three from Trey Young, like a good open three from Trey Young with a closing defender, or a, a like an easy bucket down low because Joel Embiid had to pull off. So wait, so you're suggesting Trey Young is taking five feet out from the three point arc? Yes. There are so two players in the league that... that can continue that can consistently do that. Steph Curry and Trey Young. Maybe yeah, not Trey okay, Young. Okay, is... okay. I, Trey I... Young is not going to start the game five yards out from the arc. He has to get no, hot. No, not ben necessarily not five feet out. Maybe not necessarily five feet out from the arc. But by the time he is already by uh, Ben Simmons, he's already like a half a second ahead of Joel Embiid because Embiid. Like Trey Young knows that he's blowing by, but Embiid's gonna catch that later than Trey's already in. So Trey could be up to the arc by the time Embiid runs all the way out to guard him. He already has an extra step or two ahead of Embiid coming to help. So you've got Embiid half like by the time he takes the shot, like right in front of the arc, you've got Embiid halfway out. You've got um, Ben Simmons behind him, so that pulls Embiid off of whoever Embiid's guarding for an easy dump down low, or Trey Young takes the shot like right behind the arc with a help defender that's only like halfway there. Wow. If you catch my groove. Yeah, no. Um, I don't catch your groove because I still don't think that Trey Young is faster than Ben Simmons. Um, uh, yes, he is. But and no, Trey's, he's not. Trey's little too. Like if you look Trey's at... Trey's little? Yes. <laughs> ben Simmons yeah, I know is, Trey's little. Yeah, Trey's little. Ben Simmons... Trey can move around him. And historically... What is the one thing little guys have over big guys? Speed and ball handling. Historically. Yeah, but, but, but historically, that doesn't change the fact that Ben Simmons is still faster. No, he is not. Bro. <laughs> Trey Young is one of the fastest players in the league. No, he is not. No, he's at, not. At the guard position? Yes. No. Yes. Maybe not like against some of the big guys like Giannis who can literally – go a quarter of a court in one step but like but when you're looking at just raw speed with the ball in his hand it is obviously Trey Young over Ben Simmons I like Ben Simmons but I think Ben Simmons needs a jump shot to be able to contest with a shooting team 
I don't I don't even know what to say. Um, when Ben Simmons breaks a three, he gets a standing ovation for just taking a three. That should tell you everything you need to know about Philly's perimeter game. Next game. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have, you know? I have Brooklyn and Miami. I think you probably have Brooklyn and the Bucks. Yeah, I have Brooklyn and the Bucks. Um, I feel, I think it's a Brooklyn win either yeah, way. I have Brooklyn and six in Miami. I think Jimmy Butler puts up a little bit of a struggle there for them. But, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's a pretty open shot. I don't, I don't know if we have, really have to talk about the series much. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so at all. Um. <laughs> In the West. Yeah. In the West. We have... So this the, uh, is where we got really bold. So we have the Warriors mm-hmm. versus Clippers, right? Yeah. So, I don't know if I'm crazy or not. I have... You might be. You might be. I have be. it as a toss-up. I have it Clippers in seven. I could easily see it Warriors in seven. Because, I mean, look at this. Look at this. The Warriors are a team completely built on hot streaks. If they're coming off of a first-round playoff win, when people before the season didn't even think the Warriors were going to make the playoffs, and then they win round one, upsetting the number one team, the Warriors are going to have so much momentum. They're a team built off momentum. They're going to have so much momentum going going into the Clippers. I mean, they're a divisional team, and... You've got they've already played them a bunch. Nobody in this league right now, no defender in this league, I will repeat that. No defender, not even Ben fucking Simmons can stop Steph Curry right oh, now. God. No way he oh, can stop man. nobody can stop Steph Curry right now. Like it's Bro, you are question. such a biased Warriors fan. It's what? A... They, they were putting no, four... just Okay, okay, okay. Did you see the highlight the other day? I watched the entire game. I do not remember what team I was against, but Steph had four guys on him. Four. He was being quadruple teamed. Like five feet beyond the arc. As soon as he crossed over half court, he's being quadruple teamed. Mm-hmm. Passes it out, runs around in a circle, gets the ball, and drains the three. Like Steph Curry is right at this moment the best player in the league with the ball in his hand and without the ball in his hand on offense. And Steph's an underrated defensive player. I don't think I don't think the Clippers take. I don't think the Clippers have a guard that can handle that can be even Patrick near Beverly. the same level as Steph Curry right now. Defensively, Patrick Beverly is probably the the, the best defensive point guard that you face in yeah. the West. Yeah, but Patrick Beverly cannot stop what Steph Curry is doing right now. No, I, I can agree. Great. I, yes, I agree with that. But you have nothing that can contest Kawhi and Paul George. One, Paul George is going to contest Paul George. I think that was pretty apparent <laughs> after last year. It was like an <laughs> you literally just that said that you'll horrible. give Paul George the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but he's fucking horrible in the playoffs, and then okay. <laughs> he's pretty much always been. And then you give Kawhi. Yeah, I mean Kawhi, but Andrew Wiggins has been playing a lot better now especially defensively. I don't think he completely shuts down Kawhi. I think he gives Kawhi a little bit more trouble than Kawhi had against Dallas. I think Andrew Wiggins is really blossoming into the player that 
he was more promised to be. Mm-hmm. Like he's starting to build to that level. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see him taking away at least some points from uh, Kawhi and making Kawhi work a little bit harder at least. And, I mean, what what is... Like, what is the Clippers' bench really... Like, the Clippers' bench was what made their team last year at the playoffs. What did, what did the Clippers really have now that Montrezl... Uh, completely blanked on his last name. Montrezl Harrell, now that he's gone, that was, like, <laughs> their big guy off the bench. Like, I think if Paul George disappears, I could see it going either way. Because Paul George doesn't just disappear. Paul George actively hurts his team in the playoffs. Like, what would he go like three for, three for twenty something, in a game yeah. last season in the postseason? Like, he actively hurts his team. Mm-hmm. They are a worse team when Paul George is on the floor in the playoffs. I mean, season, he's amazing. Yeah. Postseason, I don't see it, and. I mean, I could see the Warriors winning that, and if the Warriors win that, I think the Warriors are in the finals, honestly, because I could see them beating out Portland or Phoenix. Uh, okay, all right. Um, we'll get to so, that. Yeah, I kind of got to give the Clippers in this one. Uh, similarly, probably seven games, just based on how hot the Warriors will be after a win against the Jazz. Um, but then Trailblazers and Suns. I have the That's Trailblazers and the Lakers, but I think I'm going to amend that pick and go with the Suns as well. Because yeah. there's, I, I just don't see throughout. I have it at six. I'm going to give it to the Suns in seven in round one. I don't see how the yeah. Lakers stay healthy for a seven-game series. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I'm going to give the it. The Trailblazers are fairly hot as well, coming, into, coming against the Suns. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Portland. I just think a team with experience is better than a young team. I like the Suns, <laughs> but I know they have CP3, but I, I, I mean, CP3 versus Dame. I'm gonna take Dame every day of the week. Like, yeah, CP3 sure. is one of the greatest play, like one of the greatest point guards of all time. But, but Dame's gonna go down as, I think, the second greatest point guard of all time behind Seth Curry. When it's all said and done, right. Dame's insane. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to so, go Portland but, 7. Yeah. All right. I, I can agree with that. I, I like Portland here against the Suns. Um, I, I think DeAndre Ayton might give the Trailblazers some trouble, um, but they'll find they'll find a way around it. Mm-hmm. I, again, Tame is just so clutch. It's hard to, you know, go against him in the playoffs. Uh, but then we'll have – then we have the Trailblazers versus either the Clippers or the Warriors. Yeah, I'm not going to make, like, an official pick between the Clippers and the Warriors because – that to yeah, me is me a toss up in like the truest sense. Mm-hmm. But but I, I think either way that team beats Portland. I disagree. Really? Yeah. No, I really like Portland's. Because I mean, I really do. Steph and the Warriors have Portland's number in the playoffs. Like that's historically yes. Yeah, I mean, especially when Steph is playing, Steph is healthy, like. They are insane against the Trailblazers. They always find a way to shut down Dame and win the series. But I want to take yeah. a second, a pause. If we're contemplating putting the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, imagine when Clay and James Wiseman are back next year. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I think that next year's team with 
when you put Steph, Clay, Wiggins, um, James Wiseman, and Draymond Green all in the floor together, that's, I mean, that's my Western Harmon's pick for next year if they can stay healthy. Right. But uh, I this think, year. <laughs> see, here's where I'm coming from. We have, if we have the Clippers versus, Clippers are Warriors versus the Trailblazers, the, the narrative portrayed by the media is 100% going to be the Trailblazers don't belong here. They haven't had a great season. I mean, Steph Curry makes sense that he brought the Warriors here. Clippers have Kawhi and they've got PG. The Trailblazers just don't belong here. And I know, I know Dame, and I, I well, I don't personally know, him, but I know how he reacts. Dame are buddies. In, yeah, me and Dame are best <laughs> friends. We go way back. Um, no, but I know how he he reacts when he he faces adversity, mm-hmm. and when he he he's doubted like this. I think he shows up. Yeah, but he's been doubted every single year against the Warriors. Like, the Warriors somehow played them, I believe, every year of that postseason run that they had. And the Warriors never really got much trouble from Portland. It was like one series, they went to seven, but that was it. Like, I think... God damn it, Sky. I really really want Dame to get a ring. I do like Dame. I mean, even if Dame wins in the Western Conference Finals... There's no way he gets a ring. There's no way they win the finals. No, I yeah. No. <laughs> I think I think if it's the Clippers, I could see Portland. If it's the Warriors, I think they beat Portland. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming from. But um, either way, I have the winner of the Clippers Warriors going to the finals. Yeah. Um, but then East, we kind of. We're very predictable. We have the Nets versus the Sixers in the finals here. I have the Brooklyn Nets winning in seven. I know that's interesting. Like that. no, well, see, I no, I'm not gonna like that. Philly. Um, Philly is a great defensive team, but the Nets yeah. are a better offensive team than Philly is a defensive team. But it are how the Philly is a better offensive team than the Nets are a defensive team. Barely. Where's the difference there? Barely. It is when you're talking about no, how much production no, you're going to get from. Listen, listen, no. listen. When you talk about how much offensive production you're going to get from the Nets guards, how do you expect Philly's guards to put up that amount of offensive production? You've got yeah, Ben can't shoot Simmons. You got Ben can't shoot Simmons. Matisse Thybulle's all right offensively, but he's not nearly Kyrie or Harden or Joe Harris. Any of those guys like he. He's none of neither of their guards are gonna be able to hang offensively. The only player on that team that's gonna be able to hang offensively with anything remotely surrounding the, the Nets starting five is Joel Embiid. Who, what yeah, are you talking Embiid about? Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. The Nets have either no answer for one of them. The Nets will have no answer for like or the, the Sixers will have no answer for the Nets big three. What are you talking about? I have about? Brooklyn winning put- in, in like five. Like no, I'll give him six. I have Brooklyn winning at six. You just said seven. Like, you came in here with seven. Matisse yeah, and then you Thibel talked me into moving into five and then back into six. Matisse Thibel is one of the best defensive guards in the game. Ben Simmons is the can, best defensive can guard. Though, can Ben Simmons consistently shut down? I'm talking a possession-to-possession basis. Shut down either James Harden or Kyrie Irving. No. Or Kevin Durant. 
Can Matisse, he can guard all that, three. That's a no for all three of them. Can Matisse Thibel consistently possession to possession shut down James Harden or Kyrie Irving? Listen, I hate all three of the Nets' big three. With all of my, they're my least three favorite players in the league. And it's not just because they're on the Nets. I always dislike them. Kyrie going back to the Warriors stuff. KD ruining the Warriors. And then uh, I just always hated James Harden. I think he's lazy. But you have all three of them. Neither of your guys can guard. Neither of your guards can guard. Like, I, I don't I don't see it happening. I think more than one. I think all three of them scored 20 a game in this series. I'm going to be straight up. I think at least one of them scores over 30 a game in this series. I, you know, see, I see where you're coming from, but I think, I think it was Izzy who wrote an article for Phenom. And if you haven't already done it, please go check out Phenom Media. That's where me, Sky, and, you know, most of our guests to this point write articles. Um, and we, we write good articles too, you know. Shout out us. Um, but hey, I just wrote the best article of my life, that Angel Hernandez article. Yeah. In which I said um, crushed the hopes and dreams of thousands, but. But here's the thing, and I think Izzy brings the, brought this up in his article about the Nets and the Sixers. The Sixers can rotate. The Sixers have I mean, the I best guess. defensive team of the league. Mm, no, 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 no. I think if you're talking by a unit, it's either the Lakers or the Warriors. Those are the two best defensive teams in the league. You are... Mm, I think... No. Okay. I think if you're talking no. like the three best defensive teams in the league, it's Lakers, Warriors, and Sixers in no particular order. But no. the no. Nets' offense is better than the Sixers' offense or the Sixers' defense. Yeah, but you, you the three stars on the Nets are notorious for being lazy on defense. They're notorious for I being mean, poor defensive players. Well, yeah, and because they they're going to run the pace answer. up. They're going to yeah, run the base up, and they're have... going to score insane amounts against the Sixers, and the Sixers don't have the yeah, but... offense to keep up with that. Outside of Joel no Embiid and Tobias Embiid, Embiid could... and I wouldn't be surprised if Embiid drops 40 a game. Because they've exactly. got nothing to stop but, him. But look at, look at what I was just saying with at least one of the Nets' big three is going to score 30 a game, and the other two are going to score high 20s a game. Embiid dropping 40 a game does not negate the 70 a game 70 plus well, a game have, from those three. We have 40 from Embiid and then 15 from Simmons. And then one other player, Tobias Harris, drops 20. I don't see. I you don't, don't see, see Tobias Harris dropping 20. No, I could see that. I don't see Ben Simmons putting up 15. Dropping in a 15. Game yep. Consistently. Wow. Over the entire series. That's no, interesting. Ben, ben Simmons is not an offensive player. That's very especially bold. especially against a team like Brooklyn. Why why would Doc Rivers want to put the ball in or in uh, Ben Simmons' hands when they're trying to outscore and outpace the Nets? You want to immediately throw it down low or because, immediately give it to Tobias Harris? Because if they're trying to outpace the Nets, they're going to give it to Ben Simmons in transition because he is the best transition player in the league. Ben Simmons is one of the worst. Out of, out of the superstars in the league, he is one of the worst offensive superstars in the league. Purely, okay, purely. Okay, in Can't shoot outside offense, the paint. He would have in, to slash. In, he would have to slash down low, like in transition or blow by somebody, which he's not blowing by. Uh, Kyrie Irving, 
he would have to he would have to blow by somebody or score in transition. But as soon if you're going to him every time, like down low, they're going to shut. They're going to eventually figure out how to shut that down in a long. But they don't need to go to Ben Simmons every time down low. The thing is, Ben Simmons, yes, he is one of the worst superstars when it comes to half court offense. But full court offense, he is one of the best. He is one of the best transition players in the league. He is going to get steals consistently against this team. He is going to force turnovers. Him and Thibel, him and him and Embiid are going to be blocking shots. They're going to be using their defensive prowess, their rebounding. I don't think to create I don't think an Simmons advantage. gets multiple steals a game against this team. You no. The, the no Nets' way. big three. The Nets' big three is notorious for not turning the ball over. They are notorious for being wizards with the basketball. They are they not. They can be wizards with the. They're not going to turn it over that that often. Say right, what you I want think... about the Nets. I hate the Brooklyn Nets. They are not a turnover prone I... team. I don't think like, us arguing here is going to change either of our minds. I at have this Brooklyn point. in six. It was Brooklyn in seven. I... It's Brooklyn in six. You though. can have that. I have the Sixers in seven. But either way, whoever comes out of the East will be beating. Portland or the Warriors or the Yeah. 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 I had the Brooklyn yeah. in five. Yeah. I don't know why I said the Brooklyn in five, but I have Brooklyn the in Brooklyn. five. <laughs> or the Brooklyn. Clippers. I think Yeah, I think they beat them out. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see though. Yeah. A motivated no, Warriors team in the finals against KD. Like like a team that wasn't even supposed to make up make the playoffs. They didn't upsets in round one, upsets in the semifinals, upsets in the Western Conference Finals, and then plays a like the team that Katie left them for. Like Katie mm-hmm. basically destroyed the Warriors for. Yeah. Like that's that would be an extremely interesting series to see Steph. Because I think Steph goes yeah. off against the Nets. And I think Wiggins plays a good game against the Nets. Because unless you're going to put KD on them all game, which wouldn't be smart, because then you've still got uh, Toscano Anderson, who I haven't even talked about today, but he's playing great. You're going to have to probably put Dre against KD if you're the Warriors from that defensive standpoint. I think Dre, especially knowing how KD plays, playing with him for four years, Dre does extremely well shutting down KD. Maybe not completely shutting him down, but I think Dre would definitely limit KD. You've got Wiggins... Who are you going to put on Wiggins if Katie's being eaten up by Dre? I mean, I doubt you're going to put. Um, you're going to have Harden to put on Wiggins on Harden at this point. And Wiggins would out not not outscore Harden, but Wiggins would score on Harden. Harden's a poor defensive player. Right, but you know Harden is going to outscore Wiggins, Wiggins yeah, in that but, matchup yeah, yeah, but, yeah. by a decent amount. I wouldn't say by a decent amount with how Wiggins has been playing lately. Maybe by like ten points, but. Yeah, but that's a decent amount. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, with the number that I think I think Steph handily, handily outscores Kyrie Irving with how insane Steph is right now, I think Steph is the <laughs> highest scoring player in that series, and it would be extremely interesting. Because I think Kevon Looney, I mean, he's a replacement-level player. Versus Nicholas Claxton. Yeah, who I think is a replacement-level player at this point. I mean, he's... Claxton's young, right? Claxton is young, but he is yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, he's going to continue to progress, but I think that's two replacement level players down low. I think they you're going to put Tiscano. They still have Dinwiddie, too, don't they? 
They've, they've still got Dinwiddie too, right? I think so. Damn. I'm okay. not saying Brooklyn wins. I'm not saying Brooklyn loses the series. But I yeah. think I think maybe they stretch it out one more game past the Brooklyn in five that I have. Just the motivation with the Warriors and, like, the matchup. Because, like, yeah. we saw them get blown out by the Nets <laughs> opening day this year. But, I mean, that was a, a beat-up Warriors team that had never played together. The Warriors, as the yeah. season went on, clicked and clicked and clicked. And, I mean, they were, so they were like, several games below 500 at one point this year. <laughs> and they finished, like, like, two weeks ago, they're at 500. And they finished, like, what, four games over 500? Something like that. That's why Steph's the MVP See. of the fucking league. I started on that. They had, like, six <laughs> players. Like, six players, high-level NBA players in the past week come out and say Steph's our MVP. Yeah. It's the media narrative that is pushing Nikola Jokic right now. Bro. Steph, so, Steph here's, turned, here's what I'm going to say. Steph turned the worst team in the league last year into a team that we're talking could potentially... Not that far out of the Roman possibility, make the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and so here's what here's one thing we haven't brought up this entire time: Brooklyn Nets. In how much of do you trust Steve Nash's coaching? It, coaching does not matter with that team. Do you coaching Steve does Nash, matter in the playoffs? I mean, between coaching like between like, between like minutes management, other than minutes management, do you think Steve Nash calls plays? <laughs> With with a team that has three of the best players in the league on it, no. Steve I Steve Kerr even said know. when the Warriors were healthy, Steve Kerr never called plays. Steve Kerr was like, I put them in the game and I pulled them out of the game. That was it. Yeah, but uh, that coaching has to be suspects to to a certain extent. I mean, I guess, but the the only team with really like super proven coaching in the East. Is- is the, the Sixers with Doc Rivers, who's, yeah, he's proven, but he didn't do anything in the playoffs when he's with the Clippers, and he's on a new team first year this year. Exactly. I think the only um, team in the entire playoffs, when you're looking at all the teams in the playoffs as a whole, the only team with really proven coaching is Steve Kerr. And the Spurs. Who may not even make the playoffs. I, I don't think they're going to make the actual playoff. But, yeah, I mean, of course, Pop. I mean, Pop and Kerr are, like, the two best coaches in the league, if we're yeah. being honest. And I, I mean, think... like, if we're discounting Spolestra. Yeah, but Spolestra's a got... good coach. Yeah, but he also got Wade and and Bosch and Braun. Braun's the coach of any team he goes on anymore. That's... All right. Well, I think – Anything beyond this, we're just rambling at this point. But yeah. those are our thoughts with the NBA playoffs. Um, you know, thank you for listening today. I think we have to end it up. Yeah, we're not going to be able to get to our schedule preview, but I think we might be able to do that next week. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, appreciate you all for tuning in. Yeah, we got to talk more NBA next week. Yeah, we both have Certainly. very opposite opinions, even more than the NFL. Yeah, I think there were like yeah. two games that we agreed on. <laughs> Portland. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I appreciate all of our viewers. I think Scott is as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hope you guys tune in next week. Next week we'll probably be back on our Monday schedule. Um, that's okay. the that's the goal at this point. Um, any closing words, Sky? 
Um, just hopefully we're back to Monday next week. If not, I guess it'll be Tuesday at, the, at our normal time. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have, especially if it's on Monday, we're going to have a loaded show. With, yeah, well, I don't what know can if we're they, ready uh, to announce the guests yet, but. That's a good idea. Just just in case. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, we are. We're going to have. Yeah, we are going to try and get Izzy back, though, to go over yeah. some football, uh, college football. Carter um, fucking Stanley time next week. What do you mean? You mean Jason Bean time? Oh, Carter Stanley's 10 times the quarterback. Oh, damn. All I right. like Bean. Uh, I like Bean. Carter Stanley's immaculate, though. And he has great hair. All right. Does, um, does Bean have so good hair? Yeah. No. His head's shaved. Yes, he does. Oh, my God. It looks, it's, his hair is fire. Um, but anyways. <laughs> so next time we get Izzy on, we'll probably be talking Big 12. Um, probably end up going through Power 5 uh, mm. with him. Uh, unless we wanted to do group of five. I yeah. don't know really need to do that. Yeah. Um, we can probably do like one day of group of five or something. Like one segment. Yeah. But we'll talk about that yeah. in private. Exactly. Um, but thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we're up on Spotify. Yes. We should be. For some reason it wasn't uploading Spotify. So like Anchor was the only place people could listen. But mm-hmm. it, I think it finally went through. So okay. this, this episode should be dropping with the other one on Spotify tonight. Yeah. Anchor and if your viewers, yeah, if your viewers from Instagram, uh, or, or Phenom, uh, is, you know, great. Uh, you please be sure to follow our Twitter. Uh, we tend to announce when we go live there. Um, if and you, if you're from you know Phenom, what? Get ready for next week's guest potentially. Oh yeah. Big surprise guest coming on. Uh, superstar, absolute legend. Uh, we're very excited to have him, uh, him or her. Uh, not going to give it away. Um, but, you know... <laughs> the one-year-old in Vino. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, you know, feel free to follow our Twitter. Shout us out if you're not going to We don't need free shout-out. Um, but yeah. Uh, look forward to uh, keep keep on doing this. Get more viewers. You know, a lot of fun. Yeah. See you guys next week. Yeah. Peace.